Well, good morning. I was trying to think about preparing myself for worship, and I grew up in a time when you always wore a suit and tie, you know, and you, you pose like, hey, what's up, you know, like this. So I'm trying to be more cool now. So I thought about getting skinny jeans. <laughs> I, I decided against it, but anyway. You know who Pastor Bob is? Most of you or many of you? Well, he, he's a friend of mine, and um, he's known for being the good-looking pastor. Yes, I mean, you know that, right? Well, that makes me jealous, really, because every time I come around Grace or whatever, I'm always reminded that he's the good-looking pastor, you know? And, I, and here's what it makes me feel like I need to say. Just, I, I guess it just makes me feel better if I say it. I used to be good-looking. <laughs> and, uh, well, here's the thing. Let me just give you a little background. I went to college in South Florida, and it's, I was a roofer. I worked my way through college roofing. So in South Florida, roofer, it, if I did that today, I'd die. You know what I'm saying? But back then, I was strong. My skin was dark and brown, leather, leathered-like. I had long, flowing, bleached blonde hair, had blue eyes, you know. Like, I was cool. <laughs> and on, on college campus, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just telling the truth, right? I'm speaking truth, right? All the girls liked me. <laughs> it's not the way now, but they used to always like me. And they would chase me, like, hey, Dale, what's up? And, I mean, that's how I ended up getting married. My wife chased me all over campus. For, for years, she chased me. And finally, I said, okay, I'm tired of running. Come on, let's get married, get it over with. <laughs> Uh, she probably have say today, like, hey, if you want them, you can have them, you know. But, <laughs> but back then, that was the way it was. But then something happened. That was meant to be funny. Something happened. <laughs> and um, so here we are, you know. So, but here, this is a true story I'm going to tell you. My college friend, I went to college with him, a buddy, pastoring over Pennsylvania. His family and mine, we kind of grew up together. And uh, his daughter was, like, graduating high school, and, and they were looking through some of the yearbooks of the Bible college. And her daughter came to a picture of me in college. And she said to her mother, who is this guy? This guy's hot. <laughs> and uh, she called me. She, the mother was cracking up over this. And uh, she goes, I told her, Dale, that she knew who that person was. She goes, you know who he is. She goes, no, I don't. <laughs> She goes, that's Dale. She goes, uh-uh, no way. <laughs> so it's a curse I have to carry right now, you know. So you just have to like my personality or something, you know. <clears throat> so anyway. So I used to pastor for 20-some years as a senior pastor. I wanted to actually be a truck driver, and Lord changed my plans and put me in, in college, when I nearly was a high school dropout, I, met, I, I majored in metal shop in high school. Yeah, I was a good welder. And, uh, but when after I got saved, took a road trip and found myself looking at a Bible college, and, and it turned out that I went to Bible college. I was going to go to school just, I don't know why. It was like the, the dean said, Dale, why don't you go to college? Or why don't you go to school? And I go, I don't know, I never thought about it. I'm going to go drive a truck. And he goes, well, why don't you think about it? And the Holy Spirit punched my nose. I had just gotten saved. I saved about three months. So I said, oh, hey, maybe I ought to do that. I wasn't doing much anyway. I was in the mid-70s, and there was a recession going on. And So finally, I, I went to Bible college. And so what are you going to take? I said, well, 
don't you do a Christian service degree? That way you can go home to your home church and you can pastor and, or, or help your local church while you drive a truck. I go, no, if I'm going to go down here and go to school and work this hard, I want to get a degree that has a little traction to it, in my mind, a little traction. So I, I said, I'll just do the ministerial route. So okay. I didn't know it meant two years of Greek class. <laughs> I didn't know that. The, the good news about it was I learned English grammar through my Greek class, and I took three years of Greek. First year twice, but I took three years of Greek. <clears throat> I had to learn how to study. I had to, I had to do remedial reading. I had to learn how to write term papers. And it was just so much out of my league. And, and so anyway, I was still going to go home and drive a truck, you know. But I met my wife in college. And I, at, when I was a student, I started three ministries in college. And when I graduated in time to leave, uh, I was offered a full-time position as associate pastor in Binghamton, New York. And uh, I talked to my wife about it, and it looked like God was leading us to do that, which I did do that. And I never have driven a truck, <laughs> at least not for a living. My dad's a trucker, my brothers are truckers, my uncles are truckers. I used to work on trucks. I wanted to be a trucker, but I never had the privilege to be a truck driver. So anyway, here I am. 20 years later, I pastored, and then 18 years uh, ago, I left inside the church ministry to work outside the church ministries. I have an office in the Norton Plaza called Community Chaplain Services, and the concept behind that is <clears throat> when I was doing youth ministry, I realized that a lot of people would come up to me and say, hey, Pastor Dale, can I talk to you? We're talking 15-year-old kids. We're talking 20-year-old kids that got kicked out of the house, kids that were on probation, parents come in here talking about their families. And I realized that a lot of people are not necessarily anti-God. They're more anti-God person or anti-church or something like that. And so the concept was to be a chaplain to the community, like maybe a hospital chaplain or a prison chaplain. I'll just be a chaplain to the community for those who are not connected. And so early in my ministry, about eight years into it, I went back to school to learn how to be a better pastor. And so I took a certificate program to, to, be a, um, to learn more about pastoral counseling and that, that got changed as the state of Ohio changed the rules and got into a clinical degree. And so I have a clinical degree in counseling, which was way more than I bargained for, being that I wasn't really what you'd say a good student. So here I am in a three-year master's program, and I'm scratching my head. That's probably one reason why I don't have hair, along with my kids, but other than that. Um, and here I am with that, and I'm so thankful now that I do have that degree, and I do a lot of counseling and uh, serve maybe uh, like a street pastor. So I'm glad to be here tonight or today, and thank you for asking and allowing me to come. We're talking about depression and anxiety today. Very common words. Most everybody knows depression, and most everybody understands anxiety. And it's very prevalent. And uh, so let's spend a little bit of time talking about it. Um, so what I would say about that, depression and anxiety, I would say is they're like cousins, they're different, but they show up together. So if someone was to come into my office and say, hey, Pastor Dale, I'd like to talk about depression, I'd say, okay, let's talk about it. So I maybe have a questionnaire that I would give that might could help us gauge where we stand on depression, degrees of depression, say, or here's one for anxiety as well. Some say, well, I'm not here to talk about anxiety. I said, I know, but why don't we take this anyway? Because I'm knowing that they kind of show up together. So if people come in and say, I want to talk depression, and they find out they score higher in anxiety, or vice versa. So, and maybe it's both. Maybe they come together. So we're going to talk about depression and anxiety. Now, last time, uh, Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan was here, I think a week ago, 
or so, and he was talking about these different groups of uh, parts of our lives that may carry with it depression or anxiety issues such as chemistry and connections, circumstances, our consciousness, our choices. When you think about your life, when you think about depression, or you think about anxiety, you can almost go to any one of those or all of them and say, that's why I'm depressed right there. That's why. If you had a dad like I had, you know, something like that. <laughs> or like, oh, I can't believe I made those. I can't believe I made that decision. That was the stupidest thing I ever did in my life, you know. And then we, you can see how all of that can lend itself to what we might be talking about, uh, depression or anxiety. <clears throat> Uh, the, the depression often is an issue that comes as it kind of depletes the system. Our system gets depleted of, say, of the chemical, of what it means to balance our mood and so forth. So a lot of times we may find ourselves experiencing depression maybe after a, a tragedy or a birth or a death, exhaustion, a big event, something that pulls out of our system, our energies, and we're, we're tired and we're depleted. And so most of the time we may face that. Some of you may have faced depression because of some of those events, as probably most everybody has. But you know normally, it's like, I just need time to rest and catch up and feel a little better. And so if we allow ourselves the time, then we could replete the system, feel a little better, and we go back to being what we might call normal. But, that, <clears throat> but that's just the thing I want to say to you. Uh, first of all, let's use a uh, definition of depression. The persistent feeling of sadness or of loss of interest that can lead to a range of behavioral or physical symptoms. These may include changes in sleep, appetite, energy level, concentration, daily behavior, self-esteem. Depression can also be associated with thoughts of suicide. You can look up the definition of depression, and it, it might say it in different ways, but it's going to capture that's the essence of depression. Sometimes I think we think of life as being like a straight line. This is life. Above that is life. Below that's depression. It just kind of looks like that. And so it's so easy, maybe like, well, we bump into depression, bump down. I think a better example of what life would be would be life looking like this. So you have the ups and downs. Every, everybody has depression. Everybody can be, can be sad. Everyone can be paranoid. You just put the list or the name on it. Everybody, all of us can feel that in life as we go about life. Life in a broken world is full of a lot of brokenness. And we experience that and we, we participate in it because that's just what life is. So I think we need to be kind to ourselves to realize that this is probably life in, in all fairness. Okay, so you need to give yourself some, some room to, to just be normal. This is normal. We, we're also designed by God to go through life like this, but then maybe the big event happens and we have a jump. So like maybe a death or something like that. So you're going about life, dealing with the family, dealing with life, dealing with your job, whatever it is, and then you get a word or a tragedy or something. My mother in her latter years stayed with my older brother in Georgia and I got a phone call from my brother saying, Dale, um, mom died. So instantly, I jumped. Like, okay. So my mind's starting to spin all of a sudden. Okay, well, all right, Denny, I'll, uh, I'll get the family together and we'll, we'll see you down in Georgia. Okay, so all of a sudden now my body's jumping, got that extra energy, that fight or flight thing, and we got the family together, drove to Georgia, had a service down there for my mother, and when we took her to Pennsylvania, she's from Pennsylvania, we had another service in Pennsylvania. 
after that, then we went home. So that was maybe a week or two of all that traveling, all those preparations, talking through particulars in the service and all that. And then when you got home, it was like, oh, man, I am wore out. You know that feeling? It's like you just wore out. Like, I just need a couple days to just do nothing. It'd be nice to watch the Cleveland Browns win a game, but that's depressing if you think about it. But anyway, you just get wore out, and you need time to just regenerate. So after a couple days or so, you regenerate. You start feeling a little better, and you get back into the flow of life again. So we're, we're designed to go there. But what we're not designed to do is, uh, well, first of all, we go there, then we can drop. But then what we're not designed to do is go here and then stay here. And this is what we want to talk about today. So we go through life. We all have the big event issues. We all work through the postpartums, and we all work through those issues of life. And as we allow ourselves, we kind of work through it. But sometimes we just may be depressed and don't all the time understand why. We're not designed to go here and then stay here. If we don't resolve this, it'll overpower us. If we don't resolve this, it can actually go stay, stay high and maybe in time actually intensify. So we have this issue within us where we, we get elevated for some reason, and then our body's pumping, us, pumping the chemical, trying to help us out, trying to give us what we need. And then after a while, the body starts saying, I can't keep up with this. You're, you're asking too much from me. And then eventually the body just stops. It can't, it can't go, and it drops. And then we are up here, we drop, and now we're down here, we're stuck. We're, we can't get out of bed. We're overwhelmed with the, the feelings of sadness and what we just described depression to be. And we don't know where to go. There's no answer. There's, I, we're done. We've dropped. What do you do then? And, and that's the point where it can be serious. I mean, it can get to the point where we're overwhelmed with despair. We're out of energy. And there's no place else to go. We're done. We've dropped. Well, uh, research will show that the best way to deal with depression is going to be a mixture between medicine and counsel. Medicine is meant to be of help. It's an aid. So if we're so low that we don't have energy to even get out of bed, say, medicine is an, enables us to, to, to elevate the mood. It picks us up and gives us some energy, makes us want to maybe get out of bed. And when we start feeling better with the help of the medicine, then get counsel to deal with why we have an elevated issue that's not being dealt with. You deal with this issue adequately, and we resolve it, it comes back to normal, we can get off the medicine. We don't need it anymore. Now, sometimes we may not need medicine, but we still need to deal with this. This is getting in the way. It's interfering with functioning adult behavior. If you want to know if you have an issue, it's almost always defined that an issue would be something that I'm doing that's interrupting adult functioning behavior. That's a good indication if you have an issue or not. Is your depression, is your depression interrupting your function of your life? If so, you've got to deal with it. I think what I, I find myself pushing against a little bit is we've, we've looked at depression and anxiety as being like, uh, as defining my life. I don't like that. I don't like putting labels on people. Like, I, I'm, I'm a depressed person. Like, I'm going to be depressed for the rest of my life. But why are you depressed? And I think that's what we want to uh, talk about today. Um, for instance, 
um, say, for instance, my fist, the best way I can describe it, say, say my fist is depression. Depression has to have a foundation to it. It holds it up. I, I could say without this foundation, other than what we've talked about with these other issues, the chemistry and circumstances and choices, things like that, that we go through, the ongoing um, depressive state has to have a foundation that holds it in place. There's a reason why I'm depressed. The foundation for depression is anger. I want you to think about that. So if you look at this here, you say I'm depressed, you have to consider the fact that we have anger that's robbing the system. And some people may say when I suggest that, a lot of times when I suggest that, people will almost go like, oh, yeah, yep. Other people don't want to acknowledge that. Some people are angry, and everybody knows it. They spread it around like butter, you know what I'm saying? Everybody knows, stay away from that guy, man. That guy's got, you know. Then there's other people who are maybe more soft or more internal, and they don't want to see themselves as being angry. And so they're, they're, they deny their anger. So you know what? So if someone comes in that's, that's an internalizer, and I suggest to them, uh, do something with your anger, or, or what are you doing with your anger? Sometimes I'll get like, I'm not angry. Why would you say I'm angry? Because you're depressed. Well, I'm not angry. It makes me want to say, okay, well, let me know how that works for you. Because something's going on. And that's, and that's the struggle. Some people could talk about it but never deal with it. Other people don't even want to face it. Either way, it allows anger to stay active. And until we do something with our anger or find a solution to the anger, we, we're going to wrestle with depression. I think sometimes that doesn't sound like a, doesn't sound like a medical or sophisticated solution to something that seems to be so prevalent. But if you stop and think about it, the Bible says you can be angry. It's not wrong to be angry. But don't sin with it. Sometimes we may look at anger and say, like, I, I don't, anger is bad. I don't want to be angry. Listen, there's a difference between anger and rage. Rage is another conversation. It's okay to be angry. If, if anger is a thermometer, anger lets us know something's not right. You find yourself being angry. Our tendency is to focus on anger. Oh, you need anger management. That's what you need. Well, if you go to anger management, if it's, if it's an appropriate program, they're going to talk with you as to why are you angry. So the issue is... If you see yourself being angry, look at that as your body telling you something. It's not right. Anger is a secondary emotion. It's not a primary emotion. So you have a primary violation, something that hurts the person or hurts you. It stings, and it goes to the core of the person. So the core would be things like, I don't feel loved. I don't feel adequate. I'm made to feel like I'm an idiot. I can never do anything right, that type of thing. When you just said that to me, Dad, it makes me so angry. Why? Because what you just said makes me feel like you don't love me. That's why. To identify this primary violation will help us to resolve the anger. The anger is not the problem. The anger is the thermometer. The anger lets us know something's not right. And until we resolve this... We're going, to, we're going to deal with anger, and if we don't want anger, it's going to deal with us. And, and depression, eventually, is anger turned inward against yourself. Then you start believing the lies, like, I'm an idiot. 
I am so angry that my dad or my this or whatever. And when you start beating yourself up, like I can never do anything right. And then we, you start talking yourself down until where it's like we lost sense of self. One of the ways to deal with anger or depression is to identify your anger and face it. Find a solution. Talk with somebody about it. <clears throat> so, it's a rather simple solution, I think, but effective. Let's talk about anxiety for a minute. Anxiety is different from depression in the sense that it's a fear-driven behavior. Even though they're cousins, they do run together. So, anxiety is a fear-driven behavior. But so is phobias, so is OCD, so is post-traumatic stress. Those are fear-driven behaviors associated with an event or some kind of experience that one may have had. Um, so say, for instance, my fist represents fear. Fear also has to have a foundation, holds this up. The foundation that holds fear up is, is vulnerability. Think about that for a moment. How would you define the word vulnerable? You don't need to answer that. But think about it. I'm going to suggest that the word vulnerable means you feel open, exposed, and no way to defend yourself, and depends on, depends on the point of where you're at with it. So there's a positive side to vulnerability and a negative side. Positive side would be if you're in a close relationship, you have to be vulnerable in order to have a close relationship. That's what it means to be close with somebody. So in, in my relationship with my wife, it's, I've, I've been learning 39 years later, I have been learning how to be vulnerable with my wife. It's the, they may call it the art of marriage. You know, so we all bring into our marriages all my life experiences and all her life experiences, and then we figured out, we thought we were the same until we got married, and then we realized, oh, we're very different. <laughs> and my, uh, side note, my dad was one of 14 kids, and so there was one time I had 56 first cousins. So that's a lot, I know. I grew up with, hey, y'all come now, you know. Hey, Uncle Art's here. And all my cousins come in. It was always something, playing music, sitting down there, fiddling and drinking coffee. And every, there's always confusion and chaos and fun. My wife, not so much. <laughs> in fact, hardly at all. <laughs> Why I thought that was a good idea to marry someone that's not used to that, I have no idea. I think they call it the opposites attract for some reason. <laughs> you know anything about that? Yes, I do too. It's, it's fun, apparently. So, you know, she was the third born of three, and daughter had, his older sister had to get out, and her brother got in trouble, and she was a good child, and she, like, all that. So I thought it was good, but when I first married her, the weekend that I asked her to marry me, my dad had a truck, as I'd mentioned. It was parked up here. Over, I grew up around Niles, Youngstown area. Had, my dad's truck was parked at the Niles uh, truck stop, we're playing music it's at Christmas break off college, and we're playing music in the two, two, three hours, or three o'clock in the morning, shooting pool, and Pam finds a corner someplace, falls asleep. So we're done playing music. I go, hey, Pam, you want to go see my dad's truck? It's wintertime, snow on the ground, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. She goes, what? I go, come on, I'm going to show you my dad's truck. Okay, she was a good soldier. It's funny how that works before marriage. I don't know what happens after marriage. Before, so she was okay. We go out there, truck stop, crank that thing up. It's cold. Shake. It takes forever to heat up with those cabs at big old Kenworth. I drive it down to Hubbard truck stop, you know, like, hey, you like this? She didn't like it. She's like, 
yeah, it's all right, you know. Go to the truck stop, get breakfast, 4 o'clock, 4.30 in the morning. I'm sitting there like, hey, you like this? She didn't like it. She had sleep in her eyes. She goes, uh, it's all right. <laughs> we went home after that, and she went to bed. We went to bed probably when birds were chirping. I thought it was great, man. We were having a party. <sighs> My whole marriage is, come on, babe, let's do something. I should have been paying attention. <laughs> Opposites attract, but here's the thing on that. With the fear... I don't even know how I got on that. How did I even get on that? <laughs> it must be on my mind. The vulnerability, you have to be open. I think that's where we went. As, as being married, you have to be open. You have to share yourself with one another. Or you're not going to have a close relationship. If you're in a relationship that you can't be vulnerable, you probably have a troubled relationship. You need to, you need to resolve that. What would it be like to be in a in a position to where you're exposed. Say you're stripped naked and you're on a pedestal, you got a bright light on you, and there's no way to defend yourself, and all around you is darkness and strange noises. You know you're going to get hurt. You just don't know how or when. You're vulnerable. What do you do then? You're always like, whoa, you're elevated, right? And you hear a noise, and like, oh, what was that? And like, oh. You're just like, you're constantly elevated. That's being vulnerable. We have to resolve that. Otherwise, one is anxious. And we have all kinds of behaviors that we can put names on that would tell everybody how you deal with your vulnerability. So some CD, OCD or phobias, post-traumatic stress, this and that or whatever. So why? What is it? Let's talk about it. And so... One way to deal with, <clears throat> it sounds like they're a little anxious right now. <laughs> One way to describe or try to illustrate vulnerability is I've, I find my mind going to a part in a movie that I watched a long time ago called Jurassic Park. You ever watch Jurassic Park? That's it? It's just like, yeah, I mean, that was a great movie, right? That's a classic, Yes. They made, that's such a classic, they made three or four other sequels after that, right? I'm talking about the very first movie, Jurassic Park, where they, you know, incubate these eggs, and then they got these dinosaurs, and they take it to a private island, and they build this thing up, and they're going to make a nice park out of it, and it was just fantastic. So they go over there, but then the bad storm, and the bad storm comes, and the lightning takes out the, the, the safety features, and there's a breach, and now the monsters are loose, and now we have a problem. So what happens is you got Colonel Sanders and, the, and this uh, attorney guy talking about all the bad stuff that can happen. They capture fear in ways that we all can experience. So they're talking about all the bad stuff that can go on and, and happen. And then they, the camera pans from that control room out to the back lot. And the back lot has green grass, bright light, and a white goat. Remember that picture? The white goat sitting underneath a pine tree or something, chewing his cud. He's just enjoying his supper twice. <laughs> just sat there and enjoying himself. He didn't know that there was a breach. He didn't know. He's relaxed. So the camera comes back in. They're talking more about all this bad stuff. Then the camera goes back to the back lot again, and the white goat's alert. It's up like this. He's tethered. He can't go anywhere. He knows there's something out there. He heard it, something. He can't go anywhere. So the camera comes back to the control, they're talking some more, then the camera goes to the back lot, and the goat's gone. 
Remember that? I think the tethering goes like this here. It's like, whoa. You're watching that movie. They're drawing you into that. You're going like, whoa. That, something just snatched that goat. And then you think, you guys better pay attention, man. There's stuff out there. It's getting close to you. Water puddles are shaking, you know. And it's like, the picture of that goat being tethered, knowing there's danger around and can't do anything about it, to me, is a good example of illustrating vulnerability. The quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either physically or emotionally. Can you imagine living, and maybe some of you can't imagine this, can you imagine living in an environment that you're constantly afraid, constantly alert? I wonder if, I want, okay, he's in a good mood today. Some of, some of us have been raised like that. And now here we are, and then we're constantly anxious, and we think that's a solution is maybe get medicine. Medicine is good. I'm not opposed to medicine. But medicine is not the solution. We live in a state of anxiety. You want to deal with your anxiety? Address your fears. What are you afraid of? Identify them. Write them down. Uh, I read an article some time ago where it said that 95%, I think it was 95, could be 98%, of all of our fears never come true. Um, just think about that. So uh, if that's true, then I, I, I do think it's true. Fear is also irrational. It doesn't make sense. The things that we're afraid of doesn't make sense. You notice that? Like, for instance, when I was a kid, I remember one time when the lights went off, sleeping in bed, the light goes off, all of a sudden... The walls come alive, sounds are different. It's kind of the theme, like the light in the darkness. You know, I think what it is is the street light shines through the trees, and then the tree wind blows the tree, and all of a sudden they're like, whoa, that wall just woke up. I remember thinking I had a monster underneath my bed. I turn the light off, I go, whoa, I hear something. Dad, Dad. He comes in, what? I think there's a monster underneath my bed. Well, you're going to look at me and say, well, there's no monster underneath the bed, Dale. I know. But not when I'm three or four years old. I don't know that. And so I'm like, well, come here. Let's see. Look on here. Nope, no monster here. Look. Oh, okay. There's no monster. Now I relax now. Fears are irrational. But we live with fears all the time. We live in a world that is going crazy, it seems like. The world that we do live in is broken. And there's, also, there's all kind of brokenness around us. And we experienced it, and we're a part of it. Um, I lived in Northeast Ohio almost all my life. And every spring, every spring, we get these sirens go off about tornadoes coming. You know, you know what I'm saying? You don't know what I'm saying? You've never heard of us? I think I've only experienced one major tornado in all my 63 years. One tornado. I've seen a few tr trees twisted here or there, a roof blown off, but I, what are we afraid of? We, the Weather Channel will hype us up. You know what I'm saying? They'll hype you up, man. You think we have a snowstorm coming, and it's three inches or five inches. When I was a kid, we didn't have Weather Channel, right? You went whether it's going to snow or not. You didn't know it was going to snow. You drive right through the blizzards. But now we got a little, before you know it, we're running around. We're afraid of everything. Okay, I wrote a few ideas down here. We wrote, we're afraid of the economy, uh, terrorists, sickness, death, people, hurricanes, tornadoes. Bad roads? <laughs> bad roads. Tell my kids over here, say, like, be careful, roads are bad. 
One drives a Mustang with wheels like this wide. I'm thinking, you better keep the sled at home tonight, you know. <laughs> but what do we do with all that? I mean, if we're not careful, we're going to be afraid of everything. So next time, here's I have an idea. Next spring, when the tornadoes start, sirens start going off, go to your front door, open up that front door, and stand right there and say, I am not going to be afraid. Face it. Probably be the time we get one to take, <laughs> take, take the neighborhood out, you know. So if you want to deal with what we may call our depression and our anxiety, then I'm going to suggest that you get a journal. Make a list of all the things that you're angry about. Not just bullet point it. Write it out in a little explanative sentence. I'm angry because I feel like my dad never loved me right. I'm also angry because, and then write it out. Face it. Get another page and write out all the things that you're afraid of. Identify it. Acknowledge it. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. And then work through that and find a solution to what you just wrote. Most things have a solution to it. We just may feel like they don't. <clears throat> you know, when, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, three things happened immediately. Immediately they were ashamed, they were afraid, and they hid themselves. Just think about that. We still wrestle with all three of those. Very prevalent in our world. It's a sinful world. We live with shame. We're afraid. It's the most, I think uh, Max Lucado says that the most often given command in the scriptures is to not be afraid. And then thirdly, we hide ourselves. I think when we say hiding ourselves, if people really knew who I was, they wouldn't like me either. So therefore, I, I have to be somebody I'm not. So you go on Facebook, you just see all the good things of people mostly, the way they present themselves. Or we live, maybe right here in this congregation this morning. We, ha we want people to like us, but then we go home and cry. It's like, and, and uh, uh, Pastor was saying here just a moment ago, Joel was saying about, you were quoting Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan, about community, uh, the, the need for community. We need to find ourselves in a congregation that's allowing ourselves to be a congregation. Knowing that everybody has anger issues and everybody has fear issues and everybody has a need to be in a community and be vulnerable and not get hurt. That's a functioning church. And that's what I think is the gift that God gave us is the church. This is the answer to those things. We just want to make sure that we are that kind of a church. That's part of the answer and part of the solution. So I want to conclude with giving attention to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. It's the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel was a place where there was a standoff. I don't know what a, I don't know what a Mexican standoff is. I hear it in Western sometimes. I think it's like two guys standing there with guns and see who's going to shoot first and shoot straight. There was almost like a standoff between whose God was going to be the true God. So you have Elijah representing the true God and you have the prophets of Baal representing Baal as their God. There was 450 prophets of Baal and some other people with that. Big group of people, if you think about it. And they're going to have a standoff. <clears throat> so let's see whose God really is a true God. So they had a sacrifice. 
He said, okay, you pray to your God and have him consume the sacrifice. Whosoever sacrifice gets consumed will know that that is the true God. So they prayed and then prayed and talked, demonstrated. They cut themselves. They did other things. And nothing happened. As the day went on, Elijah got a little frisky with them and said, hey, what, is your God sleeping? Or maybe you're not praying loud enough. Stuff like that. Kind of taunt them. Eventually, they got to the place where nothing happened. So they said, okay, well, you do it, Elijah. So Elijah goes, okay, Lord. He says, show them that you're the true God. And he told them, in the, in the day of a drought, I want you to sat, saturate that with water. Saturate it. Do it again, two times. Do it again, three times. It was drenched. And he prays for God to demonstrate himself. Fire comes out of heaven, consumes the sacrifice. Like, whoa. They conceded. Wow, looks like your God is the true God. Because they were false gods, I think Elijah had them slaughtered. He said, no more false gods. <clears throat> and so King Ahab said, well, I guess your God's the true God. He went back to his wife. I don't know if you remember this name or not. Jezebel. <laughs> you ever heard that name before? Ahab went back to his wife Jezebel and said, well, guess what happened? And he told what happened. Jezebel said, no, I'm not putting up with that. I want his head. So the word got out that Elijah was going to be chased down with the edict from Jezebel. And he ran away. <laughs> Think about that. He just called fire down from heaven, but then when he heard Jezebel was after him, he ran away. Ran into the desert. <clears throat> found himself under a juniper tree. Listen to me. Listen. He was angry. Lord, he started complaining to the Lord. Why am I the only one standing up for you in all this world? I'm standing here facing these guys and I'm not doing it anymore. Stuff like that. The Lord realized that he was depressed. So he tended to him. Gave him some food. Gave him some time. And he said, first of all, you're not the only one. I got 500 over here and I got something over here and I got this over here. So, but I think you need help. I don't, it didn't say that. I'm adding that in there. I think you need help. So gave him some food. Gave him a, like a 40-day journey and took him up into the mountains. In the mountains... While he's there being tended to by the Lord. It's a great story. It's a great story. While he was there, a great wind came. But God was not in the wind. And then there came a great fire, but God was not in the fire. Then came a great earth shake, but God was not in the earth shake. Then there was a gentle whisper, and God was in the whisper. I think about that a lot. I think about our day and age. Right here. This phone right here. You know what this is? They said, I heard this on the news story. We have as much information here to send people to the moon than what they did back in the days that they had the moon. That's how powerful these things are. They, there is, they are beginning to recognize that there is such a thing as electronic addiction. It's like, how, how, you can't go without talking or looking at this phone. Like you're sitting for a minute and you're going on, I see what Candy Crush is doing. <laughs> or checking scores. Or, you know, checking all kind of stuff. Okay, well, let's put this away. Let's turn the TV off. Let's just quiet ourselves. Get up early in the morning. Get up, I don't know, someone, I'm, I, I used to be a late nighter, as, you, as I told you earlier. Today, I don't know, God did something. I'm an early riser now. <clears throat> Get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. 
Don't look at me like that. I'm just saying. It's just an idea, you know. Get up early uh, ahead of the noise of the day. Ahead of the noise of the day. Get your, get your scriptures out. Get your journal. R- write out your fears. Write out your angers. Talk to the Lord. Lord, what do I do with the fact that I don't feel loved by my dad? What do I, what do, I do? And the Lord, and listen for the gentle whisper. We're so busy and noisy, we can't even sit still. I think that's part of the problem. We go and run and go. We're exhausted because if we're not exhausted, we can't sleep because we're always thinking about everything I'm angry about and everything I'm afraid of. It seems like in the story of Elijah that God spoke through the gentle whisper. In a day and age in which we live, we can't afford not to go without hearing the gentle whisper. Let's allow the Lord to minister to our hearts. He may give us the solution that we're wrestling with quicker and more in depth and more more adequate than any other medicine there is. Dealing with our depression and anxiety. So give attention to that and understand that the Lord is with us and he's with us today. Let's close in prayer.